Amen. You can be seated. Glad you're here today. I'm, uh, I'm David. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church, and I'm so grateful for that song. That's, my, that's one of my favorite worship songs that we do. And Josh texted me last night and said, hey, I got your, uh, or maybe two nights ago, hey, I got your Man of Sorrows keyed up. And uh, what a blessing that is. But also there comes a curse with that too, because now I have no voice because I was screaming that song the whole time we just sang it. So I'm grateful for that. I hope that you get as charged up as I do about God's grace in that song and what Christ has done for us on the cross. And I hope you have some excitement as you look forward to 2021. I'm very excited. I'm even very excited about uh, community groups on Wednesday nights. We do that because we have just more space in here and the ladies start this week. You're not behind. The book hasn't even started. You can get a book today. And there's so many ladies in this room uh, and that will be in the room on Wednesday night who have so much wisdom and will pray for you and encourage you. So I just pray that you would start this year off uh, with that and it'll be uh, fantastic. We're going to uh, look at 2 Timothy 4, 1-8 through 8 today. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can turn or tap to that. If you don't have a copy, we're happy to give you a copy. We have a paper copy up front. And as much as I like uh, YouVersion Bible app and the Bible on my phone, and my kids have it, you know, or my oldest kid has it on uh, her phone, uh, there's something about a copy of the Scripture that's not attached to every other app and email and text in your life. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's a good thing to have just a copy that's separate from that world. And so I encourage you in the new year to, to have that and make that a habit. I heard, uh, I've heard a famous Scottish preacher preach this text, 2 Timothy 4, 1-8, named Alistair Begg. He preaches in a church in Ohio now, and he has a podcast called Truth for Life that I highly commend to you. And I'm going to be leaning heavily on his teaching today. And if I could plagiarize his Scottish accent, I would. If I could do it without sounding like a, a leprechaun uh, uh, pushing sugar cereal or something. Um, but uh, you might even be really better off with a hologram of him today. He is fantastic. And yet, uh, I, want to, I want to share with you this, this message. And yes, he did uh, he did inspire a lot of it. I actually had a chance to meet Alistair Begg in seminary. And clarification for people that are from uh, Utah here, seminary is a master's degree program. You go to a campus there for a couple of years. Josh, Ben, and I have all been there. Uh, and during that time, they have chapel. And chapel, you sometimes it's required for certain classes, but you go and you hear some of the most fantastic preachers ever. These celebrity preachers, if you will. And I had an opportunity to hear Alistair Begg, and I lined up, and you know, in my mind, I was going to meet Alistair Begg, and he was going to reveal like the future for me and my life of ministry. And so I lined up waiting, and to my great surprise, once I got to him, he wasn't really at all interested in, uh, in talking to me, and it was a curious case for me. Uh, but I would suggest that it would be the same thing for you, too. He was just a busy guy, and he didn't know me, and it illustrates the importance of a local pastor. We say fully known and fully loved. Why is that? Because as we come to deliver the word on a day-to-day -day basis, we know you. We know your sin struggles. We know your family. We know your heartache. We know your pain. And we can preach directly to that. And we can counsel directly to that. And we're praying and we're fasting for you. And so uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, that today. Because in our context, I mean, this week... 
you've got to be a little freaked out about what's going on in the world around you. Uh, I think that that is normal. And you need the Word of God preached by your local pastor today more than you need anything else. So I'm going to preach on pastors and preaching today because the Bible preaches on pastors and preaching. And you need to hear from God. And this week especially, you need to hear from God that your pastor is more important than your president. And that may sound shocking or personally arrogant. If it does, then just pretend I'm talking about Ben, and uh, maybe you'll be more comforted in that. But uh, if you don't really believe that, you don't quite yet know your Bible or the voice of God. So he who has ears, let him hear. Now, when you read a book, many books have kind of a forward and a preface. And you, you read the forward and you start the book, and then you realize there was a preface, and oh my gosh, I've not even gotten to the book. But we're going to do a quick forward and preface today before we get to our main text. And the preface is going to be what a pastor is, and the forward is going to be what a pastor is not. And then we're going to get to the text about why that matters to you today and how I can back up this audacious claim that I've just made. So let's get these two items out of the way. First, what a pastor is. I've put on the screen for you pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer, that all are considered interchangeable words in the New Testament. That doesn't mean they're not different words. They are, but they're used interchangeably. And for the geeks among you, I've included the Greek. But uh, let me illustrate it this way. Titus 1.5 says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, verse 6 tells that they should be husbands of one wife, above reproach, that kind of thing. But verse 7 says, for an overseer, and then it begins, just assuming that the reader would understand that overseer and elder are the same thing. They're used different words, same office. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2 might even illustrate it better. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now, look who's talking. This is Peter. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. There's no hierarchy here. Uh, There's no um, pope here, and I'll get to that in a second. Peter is saying, I'm a fellow elder. There's a a quality among the elders. We're not talking about a hierarchy. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock. So he's telling the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So they're an overseer, a shepherd, elder, all interchangeable. But oversight of what? Oversight, what does an overseer oversee? Is it a building or an organization setting up these chairs, creating a service on a Sunday morning, making sure? No, we're overseeing you, a flock. We're overseers of your Soul, according to Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, that's an admonition in the negative, but flip that to the positive. There's an advantage or a benefit to having an overseer of your soul. And that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today, to talk about your benefit of having Ben, Josh, and myself as overseers of your soul. A pastor cares for your soul. 
We pray for you. We know you. We fast for you. We, as elders, pray for you together. And we worry about you. Now, you would, might say, well, worry. There's no, there's no place for worry in the New Testament. The Bible says, don't worry. Turn your, all your anxieties over to him. Yet Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight that he has much anxiety for the churches. And what does that mean? He cares for them and wants to, knows what a dangerous world we live in and wants to protect the flock as much as possible. So we do. We, we show a concern for you that's more than just, hey, glad to see you on a Sunday morning. So let me say it this way. Like my parents called for Christmas. And they, they, a few days ago after Christmas, they wanted to know how the kids were doing. Did everybody get their gifts? That kind of thing. Um, they want to know how, like what we think about life and how we're doing. And, and oftentimes I'll talk about you. I'll talk about a couple who's sick or, hey, we haven't seen this person in a while. Please pray for them. And so, yes, they want to know about my kids, but I also, for me, think about uh, you guys and all of our pastors here as family. And so, you know, preachers' kids, I have a lot of kids. I'm preaching this sermon to not just, uh, not just preachers and not just preachers' wives and preachers' kids. Now, you take all those together and it makes up about 50% of Hope Church. Um, we got a lot of kids, and I'm personally responsible for seven of those. And so when I think about my kids, though, preachers' kids often get a bad rap. They're known as the wild people of the community or whatever, sometimes as they get into high school. God help us and please pray for us. But um, why is that? I think that some people think that there's some hidden hypocrisy in a pastor's home driving these kids to rebellion. But what I would suggest to you and what I've seen on so many occasions is that they're particular targets of the enemy and they may believe when they look at their dad that their dad loves the church more than them. Now, I can tell you in my own life, that's not true. But my prayer is that I love you and your children as much as I love my own children and look at them with the same kind of tenderness so Josh, Ben, and I are your overseers of your souls, your pastors, your elders. We care for you. Now, that's the, that's the preface. Here's the forward. What a pastor is not. A pastor is not a pope, a polygamist, or a politician. And I'll illustrate those real quick. Uh, I've made a big claim that your pastor is more important than your president. Now, I would suggest to you that the Bible has even stronger language uh, because it, in Revelation it refers to pastors as angels of the churches. What I'm not saying is I'm not creating a hierarchy or a distinction. Daniel Gettings in the first service walked out and didn't know whether he was supposed to bow or kiss the ring uh, when Ben and I were standing out front. Uh, but that's not what we're suggesting. I'm not diminishing the office of the presidency of the United States. I'm trying to elevate in your mind what God says is most important for you and for your spiritual health and for your encouragement and for your life. Um, so it's not a pope. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is our prophet, priest, and king. There is no mediator. You have direct access to God. 1 Peter 2.9 says it this way, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you are 
You're, there is no mediator except for Jesus. You have direct access to Jesus. This is this priesthood of believers. And in fact, in Ephesians 4.12, the Bible says that pastors are supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so the ministry work is your work, and you are a saint. You don't have to apply to the Vatican. You are, if you are in Christ, according to the Bible, you are saints, and you're always referred to as saints in the Bible. So not a pope, no hierarchy, We're not saying that we as individuals are more important. We're saying that the office of the local pastor is more important to your life and to your health and to your future and to your eternal life than your president. Also, not a polygamist, all right? 1 Timothy 3.2 says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. There's more qualifications, too, but there's not less than not being a polygamist. And that's just not polygamy. Really, the translation of that is a one-woman man. That's the way God intended it in the very beginning in Genesis. That's the way Jesus teaches on marriage. It's marriage between one man and one woman for the glory of God to show how God loves his church and the union of the church. So if anybody ever tells you that, you know, in the Old Testament that God commanded polygamy, that's just not true. It describes it, but it never prescribes it. And as a matter of fact, every instance of it in the Old Testament is condemned and ends in misery. Sermon for another day. I'm pretty passionate about that, but I'll leave it there. Well, no, I won't. Not exactly. So, so even a deacon in the New Testament is disqualified from the New Testament church if he has more than one wife. So don't do that. And don't ever believe somebody that does. I mean, the, the teaching is rooted in Genesis 2.24 that says that uh, a man shall leave his uh, father and mother and cling one flesh to his wife. This is one union, and it's good. So not a pope, not a polygamist, also not a politician. A pastor is not elected by people. He's called by God, and his authority comes from the Word of God. And that's the distinction. So... Now you know what one is, what one isn't. You've seen the scripture. So if Ben and Josh and I all uh, die in a sledding accident or something, you'll know what to look for. So now we get to the text. Why does all this matter? Why am I bringing this here to you today? I told you that I was preaching about preachers and preaching because the Bible does. But it's because it's for your benefit. It's so that you can get the advantage and feel the advantage of having pastors that love you and deliver the word to you. In times like these, we've got to discern what's most important. What's the most important thing that we need to focus on? And John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the priority of God's word with the pastor making audible the visible word brings the voice of God. And for a pastor, that makes us tremble. Every time we come to preach or teach, we tremble at that idea because we have to give an account to God. But it's not just terrifying because public speaking is probably your greatest fear, greater than death, the polls say. But it's because we're accountable to God. And life and death hangs in the balance of God's preaching. James 3.1 even warns against becoming a teacher because we're going to be judged more strictly. So knowing that, if Jesus returns today or I die tonight, 
what is the most important thing to communicate to you today? I mean, this is Paul's disposition in our text today. It's his last gasp before being separated from his head. So 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, we're going to look at his context first, then we'll jump back up to the charge. So we're going to tackle the, the end first and then go back to the first. But 4, 6 through 8 says this. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He's in jail. This is his last letter. According to tradition, this is the last thing Paul's got to give us. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. There's nothing like the prospect of death to clarify the issues of life. Death is coming. It's the destiny of every man and every woman. So with imminent death as our context, what is most important for Timothy and us? Paul is going to charge us in four uh, one. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. This first part is a solemn charge. And I think that we like humor and frivolity and all kinds of things. But when death is at the door, it's time to get to business. And so Paul says that, that we're doing this in the presence of a judge. The Bible says, where two or more are gathered, there I am also. And that passage is actually related to church discipline. And so the idea that the judge is in the room is a little daunting. Now, praise God, we have a righteous judge who's already paid our penalty, and he's full of grace and mercy and truth. But if you read something like Revelation 13, you're tending to freak out a little bit because it's so intense. Because God is judging the earth. And the point of Revelation 13, though, is to prepare you for endurance. It actually says in that language, it's a call for the endurance of the saints. So this is not about how to live your best life now. But my job is to prepare you for the next thousand years and beyond. That's what the scripture is speaking to, these eternal things. It's awe-inducing. And the commentator, Matthew Henry, said, The best of men have need to be awed, A-W-E-D, to the discharge of their duty. So, Paul's words of love to leadership and to you come with this authority. Authority of God. That's where our authority comes from. We don't deliver to you opinions. We hope. Our prayer is that we deliver to you the unadulterated truth of God in a compelling way so that you understand it. But certainly all the authority comes from God. And why does he say this? Why does it start out with this charge? I mean, Timothy's, Timothy is, in, you know, Timothy's following Paul. He's been his disciple. He's following him. But he finds it necessary to say this Ultimately, because none of us like authority. You don't like authority. And that raises its head in the rebellion of a child who refuses to go to bed. Or in the defund police movement. Or when you're asked to wear a mask. A mask. We don't like that. Yet, God gives pastors authority for your good by the word. 
And so God made us pastors, and you can choose to follow. You're free to do that. But I've seen some churches act. I mean, Hope Church is healthy, and I'm very grateful for that. But I've seen some churches act as the pastor is just a hired hand. Oh, we got a new guy, and we're paying him something, and we're glad to have him, and he does what we ask him to do. But that's not the way it's seen in the New Testament church. Uh, you won't see on Hope Church's web st- website staff because we don't see that as employee. We see it as, as leadership. And um, leadership is required by God to ultimately sacrifice the most. And this is where I can deflect and say, you're, you're one of your pastors, Ben, and your pastor, Josh, they, they sacrifice for Hope Church. Ben sacrifices more than you would ever know for you, for your good and for your benefit, and it's a good thing. So with all the authority of God, Paul charges Timothy to what in verse 2? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Does that sound kind of anticlimactic? As if we were building up to some big thing, and here we have preach the word. Whether it's in this sermon or in your life, there's nothing new to this. We don't need a new teaching or something novel. What we need is to be reminded regularly of what never comes untrue. And that's preaching the Word. It's put together kind of in a couplet that says this, the Word of God does the work of God by the Spirit of God in the people of God. And Hope Church has used that to say the Word works. If you look on our website under plumb lines, we say the Word works. That's because we believe the Word of God is living and active and able to cure our disease and deliver us from evil and preserve us for the next thousand years to eternity. And so it's not a, you know, a few tips for righteous living. We want you to have a divine encounter with God on a Sunday morning. We want you to experience the Word in such a way that God reaches into your heart and illuminates your mind and changes you. And that's what I want from my own preaching. That I'm asking God to, to change me and to move me. It's the voice of God. And so... It's particularly troubling when it says, with complete patience and teaching. So I've got to do that too. (laughs) Complete patience and teaching. When oftentimes, and you know this if you have kids, you just want to shake them a little bit. Not a lot. Not a lot, but a little. You just want to grab my arms and shake them a little bit as you're exhorting them and rebuking them. Exhorting and rebuking with complete patience and teaching. It's so important for the New Testament church. It shapes the identity of a church. If you ever have a chance to go to another church, please look for preaching first. Apologies to Josh and the fantastic worship team. But he would want the same thing. As a matter of fact, Josh didn't get his master's in music. He actually pursued preaching, teaching, biblical counseling for his, for his degree because we believe that the, the preaching of God's Word, like Paul says, is of critical ultimate importance. We want you to hear from God. So the text says that we do this in season and out of season. That doesn't mean fall or summer. It means convenient or inconvenient. Being a preacher is not convenient. Ben does not have a uh, fantastic, fun-loving job. He gets accused of only working on Sundays, and it's just not true, I promise you. Um, I had a friend once. uh, I've had these 
uh, God's led me on an interesting path, but early on in our marriage, uh, I went from the business world into, uh, into ministry. And uh, I was explaining the kind of the journey, and it was pretty lucrative, and explaining the journey to a friend, and he said, oh, I really admire that. He said, I too am thinking about the same thing because I want to get out of the rat race. And my, <laughs> my, my blood pressure rose, and I probably turned red, because you're talking about going out of the frying pan and into the fire. It's not convenient. I mean, who wants a job whose regular responsibility is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort? You see that in the employee handbook during orientation, and you throw that thing in the trash, and you get the heck out of there. But that's the regular part of teaching and preaching with complete patience. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher, said this about young ministers. He said, a young minister is prone to try by one jump what others have reached by a long series of single steps over a quarter of a century. And I can identify with that as a 50-year-old. I don't have the the excuse of being a young minister. There's a lot that I want to communicate to you on the occasions that I preach. But it's not just true for the pastor. It's true as a listener. I mean, oftentimes we say, okay, let's go to church, let's get our fix in, and then we're good for a month or whatever it is. But the research indicates that the baby boomer generation attended services weekly, and then their kids uh, twice a week, and then now their kids not at all. And so the regular preaching and teaching of the Word, humbling ourselves and putting ourselves under that in the community of God is for our benefit. Now, Even if people drift away from the authority and teaching of the word from their pastor, they're still seeking leadership for their hearts and minds. That's what Paul says is happening in verse 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Whether it's people have extra videos or extra books and uh, there was once a survey done by uh, Barna, I think it was, on who the most influential spiritual leader was in your life. And people would say Billy Graham or they would say this. And local pastor was like 10th. <laughs> and that's a little bit troubling, not because we're more interesting than Billy Graham, but, but we know you. Alistair Begg doesn't know you. He's not called to pray for you, and he's not a, you're not accountable under his care for your soul. And this process often is more subtle than just saying, oh, I'm going to join a cult or some new guru. It starts innocently with childish rebellion that just says, I don't want to hear another boring sermon. I'm not sure that's of benefit to me. Now, the other creeping subtlety that is sometimes people will seek out at their first signs of kind of personal instability, counselors who aren't your pastors. It's a great deception in the church today The idea that God's word presented by your pastor every Sunday is less than or insufficient. How tragic that so many people say, my therapist says, and so few people are heard saying, my pastor says. Let me be very, very clear. Please don't mishear me. There's a role for the Christian counselor who is not your pastor. Ben and I can connect you with those people. We do that all the time. There's no shame in saying, I need help. But let your pastors in on your life. Let us know. Let us help you. And then, yes, if there's, it's appropriate to, to send you on, then we're happy to encourage that. 
But that's not the regular primary role of a counselor outside the church. We're, God has given you and called appointed counselors for your benefit. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says this, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. It's not that because we have a degree or something. It's because God gives us sufficiency. Now, your pastor, Ben, is very humble, and you don't even know that he's pursuing a doctorate in pastoral counseling. We've all been trained in pastoral counseling, and we do it all the time, and God's given us sufficiency. But so that Ben can serve you better and serve the community better, he's pursuing a doctorate. Not so he can have a letter behind his name, but so that he can just better serve you and love you well. 2 Peter 1.3 says, take advantage of it. 2 Peter 3 says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, if you think you're being singled out, you're not. We hear this every week. We're surprised by it sometimes. Hey, I was really struggling, so I went to this counselor. We're like, okay, great. Well, let us help you. Let us pray for you. As a matter of fact, we've created time in the week. Ben has particular slots for pastoral counseling. We've got a little QR code, need to talk to someone. We've had this for a while, and we share that with the whole community. Those are already slots that are built in to Ben's week. So please take advantage of that. Uh, the world says the pastor isn't relevant to the, to the needs of the individual, that they don't address my needs. So some choose everything over gospel preaching and wonder why they are so unsettled, discontented, and without peace. So please take advantage of your pastors. So finally, Paul, tell us what to do in verse 5. He says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. This is a life of suffering. A life of ministry is not one of ease. It's one of suffering. A true pastor bleeds for his people. It means great physical and emotional and mental suffering. Uh, Not just for pastors, but also for pastors' wives and children. I'm so thankful for Ronnie and the prayer team that they pray for us. Please pray for us. Pastors' wives are great resources. They want to help you. If you want to talk to a woman and say, I don't even want to introduce this problem to my man pastor, great. Pastors' wives are here for you. And you're the priesthood of believers. You know, this is for all of us to hear. If you're following Christ to make disciples, you're following Him into suffering. And yet, following Him will be the safest place you can be for the next thousand years and beyond. And the reward is great. So bring someone with you. Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. There's no degree required for that. There's no title required for that. Sunday morning preaching is that, yes, but also is coffee shop evangelism. And then as we talk about evangelism, what does that even mean? And why do you have to be evangelistic so much? We hear this occasionally. Occasionally, people will tell their, say their church is just too evangelistic. J.I. Packer is helpful here. He says, if one preaches the Bible biblically, one cannot help preaching the gospel all the time, and every sermon will be at least, by implication, evangelistic. An example, Old Testament example. Leviticus 13.13 says this, Then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It is all turned white, and he is clean. So how would a New Testament preacher preach that? Well, it's the same. It's the same as Ben talked about in the prodigal son story. If we confess before our God that we are full of disease, of sin, 
and we repent and we come to him, he will make us clean. That's the offer to you today, and it's the offer every Sunday. It's the offer to anybody watching online or any of your friends that you might share the same message with. That God of mercy is waiting to bring the prodigal home. You admit that you're a prodigal and that you're completely leprous, and he will totally heal you. That's the good news, and that's the gospel. And that's what Paul is pressing as most important in the final days. So finally he says, fulfill your ministry. I love the way that sport informs this. I'm able to coach up my kids. I'm able to say it's not how you start, but how you finish. Finish the race like Paul, fulfilling your ministry. And our job as pastors is to point you to the peace of God in his word through 2021 and beyond so that you'll finish well. We're here for you. We love you. We're called by God to help you. Please lean on us and the one who is able to give you that peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for your calling. And I thank you for the local church. And God, I thank you for Josh and Ben, that they're my support system, that I can confess my sin to them, that they're my wisest counselors, and that you've invited this congregation here at Hope Church to engage in that, to have the same benefit that I have from Josh and Ben, that I can come to these men with my pain and with my sin. I can confess it and I can be healed. I can get encouragement. I can get wise counsel. And so can everybody in this room. So that, God, you give us endurance and perseverance to run the race, to finish, to get the prize waiting for us in heaven. God, we look forward to your appearing. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.